This is Radio Hazar. We are at the Liberty International World Conference. We have a great guest to speak to. This is Professor David Vquest. He is the founder of the Center for Medical Tourism and Research. He has also penned the book, Decline of Adults. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very honored to be here. Can you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to the ideas of liberty? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, good question, because uh, I think that they're kind of intertwined. Uh, so I've been in academia for uh, going on 18 years now. Um, I did, never uh, planned to be a professor. I uh, had planned to use uh, my uh, degree and my skill sets uh, to work in business. Uh, I had uh, many years of experience uh, both as a consultant with Ernst & Young and then later as uh, as a executive for the largest publicly traded uh, healthcare system in the world and uh, had always planned to stay there. Uh, but the appeal of being able to uh, teach and develop and grow young people uh, was so strong. I, I had a couple of opportunities to teach as an adjunct and loved it and I had the students coming up to me and saying, Oh, it's so uh, refreshing to have somebody tell me about how things are out in the real world outside of academia. And it's, uh, so I decided I was going to make that switch. It's, it's been um, very helpful, uh, I think. Uh, for, for me, I, I, I like the lifestyle. I love learning and growing. And I also like uh, the opportunity to, to grow uh, young people. That comes to um, you know, the ideas of, of liberty and freedom. Um, as you become more well-read, uh, as you become more knowledgeable in the areas of history, economics, and civics, which I believe are the trifecta of freedom, as those become more clear in your mind and you, you become more well-read in that, you realize that liberty and freedom is the only way and uh, everything leads to that path. So I try to uh, gently nudge and sometimes kick uh, students uh, down that road when it comes to uh, becoming more well-read and, and uh, becoming lovers of liberty. Okay. And in your opinion, how big should the state be? If we look, for example, at North Korea where there's almost total control and then, for example, uh, Somalia in the hinterlands, there's just a free-for-all. Um, in your opinion, how big should the state be? Is there an example? Um, Great question. Um, so uh, the working in hypotheticals doesn't necessarily, it, I, I'm too pragmatic for that and too yes. simple-minded for that. What I would like to see is that individual groups of people, in fact we were just talking about it um, today and yesterday at this conference, should have the ability to choose how much government they would like to have um, interfere in their lives. And, and if they're a well-educated and intelligent intellectual group, then they'll want to have less. So I could see, for example, um, in a new state in Catalonia or the Seasteading Institute or any number of, of groups of people that, that are particularly liberty lovers to get together and say, we don't want to have a totalitarian, authoritarian, um, overreaching parental state um, over us, that they should minimize that as much as they want, including uh, down to um, uh, a simple anarchy where they just um, they do what's uh, good for them and what's good for others around them in their community. So I, I don't have necessarily a, um, uh, a strong opinion about that other than I think that we should obviously, it's, it's, um, 
it's like staying clean. Um, you, you have to work to stay clean continuously. And if you if you go a couple of days because you're playing your favorite video game and you're on Fortnite <laughs> and you're you just can't get away from the TV, yes. you you look up and you find out it's been 36 hours later and you smell badly and you, you have to shave and all that. But you have to take care of yourself. Hygiene matters, and so getting rid of uh, state overreach and, and creep is important. And you have to use soap and, and strong scrubbers to get rid of them. So hope that helps. Yes, and just coming to one specific area of governance, uh, what about when it comes to national health care and private health care? Uh, do you think in democracies it's good to have both, or uh, are you leaning strongly towards privatization of the medical industry? Fantastic question. Thank you. And that's, that's obviously my area of research and has been for over a decade. Um, the, so I study in the area of medical tourism where people... Uh, are choosing to get healthcare uh, perhaps outside the normal boundaries or normal locations that they would normally go to. And I find this uh, an absolute fabulous, wonderful free market exercise. Um, uh, just if I can elaborate a little bit further, uh, one of my favorite uh, book authors, uh, in fiction at least, uh, for many years has been Michael Crichton. Um, I loved Michael Crichton's work, and I loved uh, what he was trying, the message he was trying to get across in Jurassic Park. Not, not these horrible abominations of these movies that have come out recently, okay. but the, the original and the, uh, the second one as well, which were both books of his. And uh, so he had, a, uh, he had a theoretical mathematician um, that would uh, tell us the dangers of chaos theory, and in particular would say that nature finds a way, and uh, that free markets always find a way. Uh, whether it's through gray markets or black markets or other ways. So it doesn't matter how much of a national system you put in place. For example, in Canada, uh, they have a wonderful um, nationalized health care and free health care. And I, I just gave uh, an example in the conference of several years back, one of the premiers. This is a person that is one of the top positions in all government. He actually runs an entire province. Um, he decided he would need to do a heart surgery, and he looked around at his options and found he had better options in the United States and Florida than he did in Canada. So he went down to Florida, had his heart surgery, came back. The, the, uh, the press in Canada were just absolutely... Had a field uh, day. Yes, they were volatile. There was just, <laughs> you know, we have wonderful health care here, and it's free. Why did you go to, uh, to Florida? And he said this wonderful line. He said, it's my health, it is my choice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so free markets are, are exploring everywhere. We, um, I just uh, read this tremendous story of an Irish boy um, that was flying to the United States to get medical marijuana for, for very uh, terrible seizures that have uh, just haunted him for his entire life and, and actually made it so that some doctors thought that he might not be able to, to live um, to a, a ripe old age. And uh, he's been uh, tremor-free uh, using marijuana for for, uh, for over a month uh, as of the writing of the story that I saw, and that was uh, sometime last year. And uh, so those types of um, free market, gray market, black market uh, movements are tremendous. They, they're sometimes good, they're sometimes bad, they're sometimes ugly, but they, they're always going to exist. There can never be a truly nationalized healthcare system that meets everyone's needs. Healthcare is so personal, it's such an individual decision that it begs 
for liberty and freedom. And, and so that's what I, I love about studying this, is because it's the ultimate free market expression of, of people. Sure. And when medical tourism does work, uh, could you maybe explain uh, some of the mechanics of that, like why it's efficient and uh, why it's beneficial to patients? And Absolutely. So there was a, a study that I brought up in the uh, conference uh, today that was uh, pretty fascinating when it came to Europeans. Um, there was a study done a couple of years back that asked Europeans why they were tr would travel to another country for healthcare. And the number one was uh, a term that uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, Glenn Cohen from Harvard Law School, um, came up with uh, in regards to medical tourism, which is legal arbitrage. In other words, people would leave the country, uh, particularly I think it was some of the Nordic countries particularly said this, they would leave the country and go to another place if they didn't have access to those things that they really needed and wanted or felt they needed and wanted um, that were, weren't available in their country because of regulatory schemes. And, and so that's beautiful. Yeah, that's the number one reason. Um, in general, many of the other reasons can be encompassed by uh, the want and need of um, a, what, another uh, scholar, uh, this, another Harvard scholar, uh, Michael Porter, who's kind of the father of, of modern uh, business strategy. Um, he, at Harvard Business School, he wrote a book called Redefining Healthcare, which suggested that we have to stop having these stupid comparisons of looking at just cost or just quality. He said that when we buy a car, when we make uh, any type of purchase, when we decide to date somebody, what we do is we look at all the aspects. And what he said is when it comes to purchasing products and services, typically both cost and quality combined, which he called value. And so what you're looking for is value. So it's not just is something cheaper, but is it cheaper and it works? I can sell you a very cheap car, but it probably won't work, right? It'll probably be uh, damaged beyond all repair, and I can sell it to you, but it won't do you any good. So that's not real value to you. So that is uh, perhaps the most fundamental reason that people are, are searching for healthcare. Interestingly, um, this is an interesting demographic aspect about healthcare and, and why libertarians should embrace uh, the idea of uh, medical tourism as a free market principle in healthcare. It tends to be um, seen more, more often in uh, the affluent, in other words, wealthy people that have choices because they have disposable income. So what they do is they typically um, use that m money, um, typically that they have gained from uh, hard work and from effort, to go out and get health care in a different form or manner than what uh, most people do. So that, that's kind of expected. Most people say, yeah, medical tourism is for the rich. Ah, but it's a bimodal distribution. We also see uh, impoverished people, people that are very poor, that have a lack of opportunities to get very good health care. What they will do is they will actually physically travel someplace else so they and their children and their family can get better health care as well. So, for example, several years back, um, Gallup did a study in uh, several Asian countries, about 11, as I recall, and what they found is that uh, about one in five, almost 20% of the people surveyed were actually going to a different location. So if you're in Western China and the reputation is that the uh, medicine in Western China, particularly the public uh, clinics, is not that good. So what they would do is they would head east and go to the larger cities like Beijing or Shanghai or Hong Kong to go get health care that would be substantially better uh, in terms of quality and value. Sure. So,
So hopefully that answers some of it. Um, the, the mechanics, I, the, just a little bit more on that. Uh, so uh, the, the major reason that medical tourism has grown again, it's a very old concept, it's been done since the beginning of civilization. Uh, Egyptians, Romans, uh, many ancient people used to travel very long distances for healthcare. The, the modern equivalent is all done by the internet. It's fascinating because we find in the United States, uh, Pew Research found that uh, searching for healthcare or going online and looking at healthcare information is the third most common thing they do on the internet. So number one, um, and so I had some funny re responses when I asked people what people do on the internet. You can you can guess what that would be. Uh, anyways, but number one is actually email. Number two is social media. But number three is actually look for healthcare, and that's because healthcare is ubiquitous to the human experience. So um, if something were to ever happen to a family member and they called you up and said something uh, just happened to me, I found a lump or a doctor found a lump, what would be the first thing you would do? Well. I would try intervene. I would try to get help. Yeah. And how would you get help? How would you uh, know what I, help to get? Again, I guess in the past people only had access to libraries, but we do have the internet. So very yeah, good. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. And what we've also found is interestingly, people with cell phones that have access to the internet, which is a large portion of of um, developed countries now, they're even more likely to look up information about healthcare on the internet. So healthcare searches um, overall, it's the mo one of the most common things people do on the internet particularly in developed countries. And then, you ready for this, of all Google searches, of everything that goes on Google, of all the things, about one in 20 of those things are healthcare related. So um, the, the- That's internet, higher than expected. Uh, I wouldn't trade. expect it to be that high myself. No, it's incredible. So what's basically happened is the internet and the explosion of information of, um, that has been made available has primarily transformed healthcare in ways that we could never imagine. It's led to more medical tourism because now instead of just saying, hey, my local doctor is good, my local hospital is good, my local dentist is good, and, and I'll just accept whatever. Now you can look and say, oh my gosh, there's options. And some of those options may be in the town uh, across the way, it may be across a border, it may be halfway across the world. And um, you can now kind of look at these different options and evaluate kind of a cost uh, uh, benefit ratio and try to determine what works for you. So that's the, the big thing in medical tourism. It's also led to an explosion of uh, private businesses, both private health care as well as businesses that help to facilitate or to um, establish infrastructure between the patients and these health care providers. So it's been wonderful for um, entrepreneurs and for people seeking to um, establish a business in, in, quite frankly, one of the largest and fastest growing businesses in the world, which is healthcare. And you have some connection to Eastern Europe. You know a lot about medical tourism to Poland and other areas in Eastern Europe. Could you maybe inform our viewers a bit about some of the trends? Um, maybe, for example, uh, the the types of procedures that Americans would get done in Eastern Europe? And 
So uh, the un unfortunately, when it comes to picking the procedures, let me start with that question first. It's, it's sometimes difficult um, to point a finger and say this is ex what people will travel for. Uh, a couple reasons for that. It's a typically a very complex situation with the free markets, and what we find is that certain populations of countries, and it could be, for example, men versus women in the United States, and then affluent men versus affluent women, and then um, people that are less affluent men versus less affluent women, as you start to bring in different uh, categories, both uh, demographic, sociographic, and psychographic categories, it, um, the, it turns out their preference is very different. So for example, you may have an uh, in vitro fertilization specialist here in Poland. Um, I clearly wouldn't be interested in, because uh, I'm not currently a female, I don't identify as a it's female, and, uh, and I, I don't think I'll be getting pregnant anytime soon. So uh, that would be <laughs> difficult for me. Uh, I wouldn't have any interest in that service. Um, um, uh, so you'll find what uh, there are specific groups that are interested or more interested in certain types of procedures. Um, in general, I can give you some secrets. Um, in general, around the world, the most common procedures are probably dental, quite frankly. Um, now, I found something very interesting about Poland, and I didn't realize this. Poland has a relatively small ratio of dentists to population. I just saw those numbers recently. I think it was OECD numbers, and I was surprised by that because the the reputation is that uh, again uh, British and Germans and other Nordic countries sometimes come to Poland for dental, um, but yet if you look at the ratio, uh, Hungary is is much higher in terms of ratio of, of dentist. Um, the the other thing that is very European as well as uh, Asian, uh, the U.S. is picking up on this, is health and wellness tour and going to a place, uh, to a wellness spa or a health spa. And so that is something that uh, I suspect that uh, Poland sees a fair number of. And then there's uh, Polish doctors do have uh, some uh, specialty areas that they're known for. And I uh, studied a couple different of the facilities here in Poland where people may come uh, for various other types of procedures. Don't forget the regulatory or the um, legal um, arbitrage. For example, in Great Britain, it's illegal uh, at many times for couples to look for in vitro fertilization, certain types of uh, uh, fertility treatments. Uh, it's illegal to advertise, I should say, in Great Britain. So there's um, British couples sometimes look for options to go elsewhere. And so you can see uh, potentially Americans or, or Brits coming for things like that. Uh, and then you also you have to remember that you have to take advantage of, in a business, uh, if your restaurant is on the beach, you, it gives you a certain advantage and potentially disadvantages. Um, you may be aware that there are people that actually come to Poland to do things like sit in salt mines and breathe in the air and there's uh, there's suggestions that there could be efficacy uh, health related benefits uh, regarding things like uh, going to salt mines so the, uh, all these things kind of factored together some people come for the climate some people come for uh, the people many people and this is interesting come because of their relations with a country um, I'm not sure if you know this. Poles have one of the largest diasporas in the world. 
Oh, yes. I'm very okay. familiar with Excellent. this, yes. Well, it, it, it was actually, I, I apologize. It was something I had learned uh, recently. I'd, I'd heard of polls in other places, but I didn't realize how many of them. For example, uh, we had a presentation about how many polls were in Brazil, for example, and it was extraordinarily large, much more than I expected. One of the largest diasporas in the world in terms of people. Um, so I've, I found an academic paper about uh, women in other countries, uh, I think it was mostly Eastern Europe, that were polls that were coming back to Poland, even though they lived and worked in other places, they come back here uh, for health care because it's an excuse for them to come back to a place where they feel comfortable at, to see family, and also to engage in some domestic tourism, to come back and get good Polish food like they, like they uh, remember. So um, I, I think that those are many of the reasons that you might have people um, travel to Poland. I do have some good news. Uh, this is um, part of my research, which I did specifically for this conference, and actually you're, um, you're broadcasting it um, uh, exclusive to some extent uh, for this, uh, which is that, uh, so I did analysis. There's, um, the EU had gotten really interested in the trade of health services. There's something called the EU, EU Cross-Border Directive, which was looking at uh, trying to make sure that the, there was the ability for EU citizens to be able to get health care in other countries and have that paid for uh, by, say, the, uh, the home country. Um, that, now, this is mostly uh, the state paid for health care, but still, it, it's interesting to look at the free market aspects of people deciding, hey, you know, I'm not going to stay in my country, I'm going to go to someplace else and get something that I perceive to be um, better or, or more desirable. So uh, I was looking at it, and I had always noticed a fascination with places like Hungary and Poland that have been so incredibly active in medical tourism. In many ways, it felt to me that they were perhaps getting more medical tourists, at least in the, uh, from EU citizenry, than, say, Great Britain, perhaps France, perhaps Spain. And I found that odd because here we're talking about cultures that were part of the uh, Soviet satellite uh, bloc, the Eastern bloc, um, these uh, countries that many years ago had a, a mindset of a state-run universal healthcare system that is free for all, paid for tax, by taxes. Um, the, um, and so I decided to look into that. Well, so I pulled up EU statistics, and they have uh, basically a uh, credit debit system where they show the ins and outs of dollars, euros, sorry, uh, going back and forth uh, to various different countries. So I isolated all the former Eastern Bloc uh, countries and the Western European countries and looked at the balance of trade between those two. What do you think I found? Uh, I'm thinking you're going to say that in Eastern Europe there were more people participating in medical tourism, which yes. would be really surprising. Yes, yes, it's incredible. It's it's wonderful. So we're talking about some of the largest economies in Europe, which includes uh, still included Great Britain, included France, included Spain, included Italy. Um, these countries were actually, um, they were sending more people to Poland and Hungary and the other Eastern Bloc countries than they were actually receiving from them in terms of healthcare. And so what I find fascinating is if you look at, uh, for example, I dug a little deeper into Polish healthcare systems, the um, total amount that was paid for by government 
uh, involuntary payments to healthcare for uh, Poland of, of healthcare spending is actually lower than it would be in the United States. It's much lower than it is in Germany. It's not quite as low as it is in, in another medical tourism destination like Korea. But it seems that, you're ready for this, that there are lovers of liberty entrepreneurial people in the Eastern Bloc that have somehow rejected the Soviet-style um, state-run healthcare system and they are establishing medical tourism private businesses that are attracting these people from Western Europe and they are getting a positive, not a negative. In, in Western Europe it was negative in terms of the money, uh, the euro uh, leaving. And, but the, in the Eastern Bloc, it was a positive and they were gaining. And so it was, it was really good and it made me uh, very proud to be here in Poland because uh, I know I'm in a place where uh, people are looking to find ways to uh, create market value, create opportunities, and create healing for uh, people from throughout the world, including uh, Western Europe. But yeah, it seems Poland is a net positive when it comes to... That's very surprising. Uh, in medical tourism, yeah. So great news. you don't have Poles going to England to take advantage of their socialized medicine. You have Brits coming to Poland to take advantage of private healthcare facilities, whether it's dental or health or wellness or, or medical surgical. I know in the UK there's actually a lot of um, Poles that have actually immigrated to uh, the UK. So I think right now there's more than a million Poles who are living in the UK wow. and they do have access to the NHS and they are, for example, having children. Um, my wife is Polish and yes. I've had a child and we, we got uh, NHS coverage ourselves. So yes. we were uh, fortunate enough to, to be able to get that service. But um, yeah, so I guess there is there is at least some Poles who are getting uh, medical treatment, but uh, through the state. Yeah. yeah, so we talked a little bit about um, how, uh, for example, uh, some of the, the issues with socialized medicine um, in the NHS. Um, we've seen already uh, in, in London, and I know this is a horrible thing, and I, I hate to speak about it further, but uh, both the death of Charlie Gard, uh, a young baby yes. that wasn't allowed to leave Great Britain. Oh, that, Even, that, that, was, that was ridiculous. It was oh, a terrible story. Horrible. And, and you know, the, what was fascinating is there were uh, entities that were willing to pay for yeah. Everything when it came to the travel of the child to either go to the United States or go to the Vatican's uh, private hospital in order to get experimental care to just see if they could make a difference. I mean, that's that's the human spirit is to at least try. Yes, the, the parents wanted the choice to at least try. And I showed a picture of the conference today of Alfie Evans, so, so the most recent one, uh, and the uh, British bobbies uh, lined up in front of uh, the hospital to prevent people from taking a baby out. So in other words... And, Disgusting. I, I, it's disgusting. It's uh, it's socialized medicine and socialism at its very worst. It's uh, it's the um, I mean to to basically I, I can't even imagine and I um, I hate to even call out um, people that were um, never thought that they were going to be involved in those types of situation. But you know to be a police officer and to have uh, to be standing yes. there in the doorway and preventing a child from leaving uh, so that it could die, uh, it ha has to wear on your conscience. And I, I find it just uh, horrible, despicable, and evil for the government officials that are involved in that. Um, that, again, Alfie was also offered uh, to potentially go to the United States or potentially go to, um, to uh, the Vatican, but neither 
either of those things. No cost to the NHS. Would have cost them nothing to let them, the child go, and it's just horrible. So that's the, the worst of socialized medicine and, uh, the, and socialism in general and the welfare state. And that is exactly what, as you can see, the free market was trying to provide something different in terms of there are people out there uh, through their charitable giving that say, hey, listen, you don't have to accept this. Uh, we're willing to help you if you'd like to do something different. And um, uh, choice, choice is so important in healthcare. It's, it's such, a, such an individual decision and so, such a critical one.